Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is May 25th, 2022, and this is episode 341. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll hop aboard the hate train. We'll also perform our duty as the nerdiest podcast in Berlin to discuss the nerdiest team in baseball. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is your drink of the week? Well, Jake, I pulled out my abacus this week, and uh, I ended up with a old favorite. Um, I ended up with a, a Roar Brewing um, Groove City Hefenweizen. Uh, not the grapefruit variant, but the original variant. Again, in general, general good old-fashioned unfiltered wheat ale. How about yourself? What are you drinking this week? I am drinking a Voodoo Ranger Juice Force uh, Hazy IPA. This is by New Belgium, and this is pretty yummy. I've uh, I've had this a bit uh, this season, and I I've been really warming up to it. No more combat wombat. Uh, not not for now, not for now. Uh, I do have a question for you. Sure. Scott. I don't know if this is my imagination, but wandering through the beverage store over the last I don't know a couple of weeks, I have realized something. Okay. There's not nearly enough grapefruit. Is it my imagination that there is less grapefruit beer available, or am I simply too early in the season? Well, first of all, you're not too early in the season. Uh, I think we might have to take you to a few different stores um, because the grapefruit slash fruit um, is pretty big out there if you're looking for it in the right places. I have seen a lot of pineapple. I've seen a lot of How do you feel about pineapple? I don't know. I haven't had it yet. Okay. Because I've been searching for the grapefruit. I, I'm worried that, you know, with, with global supply issues, that brands may be scaling back to the old faithfuls, mm. right? Things that they know are going to sell. And I wonder if maybe, you know, there's not as much grapefruit available for, for freaks like me. Um, let, let us know on the Twitters if it's just my imagination. Feel free to send me uh, snapshots of your grapefruit beer either being consumed or in the in the beverage counter and make sure that you hit me up on untapped where I'm at Jake E four zero two five. And I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, let's get a little fruity and head over to the medical wing. A little bit of news here and there. Um, you know, I think one thing that I kind of wanted to start with was, um, you know, Michael Elias sat down with the media um, earlier this week, um, specifically mentioned uh, a few individuals. Um, Yusniel Diaz was coming up in, the, in that conversation of when is Yusniel Diaz going to be available again? Um, you know, Scott, I'm shocked that we're talking about Diaz in the medical wing. That seems really surprising. It, it is very surprising. And I, I guess I'm at the point with Yusniel Diaz where Elias said, 
you know, if he can stay healthy, this is his chance is the best way to put it. And I guess my thought process is if Eusenio Diaz doesn't get healthy uh, this season, is it done for him? Like, is this it? Because I feel like it's really quickly approaching that topic um, with as many other outfielders are available and can come up through the organization in the near future. I'm becoming concerned, Scott, with Diaz. I'm becoming concerned that we perhaps did not win the Manny Machado trade. Um, we we shall have to see, but uh, yeah, it certainly <laughs> looks like Diaz was maybe not the best selection. Um, Dean Kramer was uh, was another individual who's been hurt um, since the beginning of the season. He did make his second rehab appearance and pitch for three innings, um, and he actually pitched, pitched very well. Um, which kind of raises the question, you know, Dean Kramer doesn't look like he is going to be, you know, potentially available from a starting rotation standpoint, but could Dean Kramer be another Keegan Aiken, um, in a short routine basis, um, is my question. I, I think absolutely. Yes. I think especially when you have a rotation like ours, where there are going to be innings to give. And potentially with starters we want to bring up and see and keep them low in innings count. Let me let me just lay this on you, Scott. Sure. We've been talking about, gosh, we want to see Grayson Rodriguez. Gosh, we want to see D.L. Hall. If these guys spent their first year in the majors because of their development, because of the crazy COVID year, because of all the things, being openers with guys like Kramer and Aiken behind them, effective. Kramer and Aiken, that might be kind of a dangerous thing. And it might be kind of a dangerous thing because lo and behold, those two guys might also develop as potential back-end starters through that uh, effect. Sure. I mean, it's something that Palmer has talked about before in the past is, you know, kind of growing out in that fashion. Um, And again, we continue to talk about folks like D.L. Hall, who's going to be on an innings limit uh, this season too. And I don't know. It's just interesting to kind of watch – you know, the Keegan Aiken experiment continue on this year and just wondering who else from that, you know, given we'll call it, you know, fifth starter um, aspect um, could potentially be that long man in the pen going forward. Um, I don't know. Just interesting. Um, I don't know, know what to think about it besides that. Can I ask you something? Sure. If they use Kramer and Aiken as the, as the, uh, next wave in after the openers if they come let's say charging to the rescue in innings four or five of the game would it be accurate to call them the cavalry if you say that ever again i will end this podcast (laughs) uh i may end up on the medical wing uh scotty i noticed if they were to play the cavalry bugle like when they came in that would actually be awesome once uh, here's the thing once we have a rotation uh, uh, that it consists of John Means uh, signed his multi-year extension, uh, dominating in his post-Tommy John era, we have Grayson Rodriguez, we have D.L. Hall, we have Kyle Bradish, and whoever else it is. We'll go with Bruce Zimmerman as a as a filler for the fifth spot. As a as a feel good, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think once those guys are there dominating and are part of the next great Orioles team. They need to get those guys uh, cosplayed up into cavalry gear. And we need to reclaim that as a, as a non ironic title. 
But so, until then, I will put that back in the drawer. I apologize. So we no longer need to see the Mike Mussina and Ben McDonald in the uh, U.S. Air Force gear with the helicopter, with the, the jet on the field where it says aces on the field? Hey, I'll look at that all day. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed something else in the medical wing, Scott. Yeah. I, I don't know if you noticed, but did you hear that John Means is out? John Means is out. Um, but <laughs> appearing in the broadcast booth um, and yes. uh, still going around with the team, coming on for on-the-field celebrations, as it were, and uh, just enjoying the life, as it were, of being a ball club without having to basically um, pitch. So, uh, again, he doesn't have to do this whatsoever. He could just stay at home and, and not even worry about it. But I think it's actually kind of cool to to see him um, you know, doing this typical stuff with some of the younger players as well. And I think that actually speaks a lot um, to John Means' personality, character, but also just knowing what his role is on this team going forward to kind of mentor certain individuals as well. Um, You've joked about it in the past, but when he comes back in July of 2023 to lead the charge into that pennant race, baby, team leader John Means is going to be a welcome sight back. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the one individual that did get hurt from the major league roster was Spencer Watkins, um, taking that, you know, contusion off of, um, I guess his forearm, um, uh, forearm slash elbow. Um, and again, it looks like he'll, he, he's on the 15 day IL. Um, I think it was 105 miles per hour off a choice bat. Um, so yeah, he immediately came out without having giving up an out, um, which really, you know, pushed a lot of the bullpen around, um, over the past few days. Um, and the Orioles are still kind of recovering from that. But, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see, you know, what's going to go on with Watkins. I mean, I wouldn't say that he, he was kind of already dangling away from the from the starting rotation. But I almost wonder, did this push him fully out of the starting rotation um, at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a real big believer in Watkins to begin with. And I think that, to be honest with you, he's just filler until something better comes along. Um, you hate to see it with an injury, uh, but I, I do think that's probably the last time we'll see him as a starter, as a regular starter, uh, on the club. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's odd. And, you know, it comes back to, you know, the conversation that Elias was having, which is, you know, when, um, when he went down on Sunday, Grayson Rodriguez is pitching on the same day. And I'm like, mm, that would line up pretty well. Um, and again, we'll have to see who the Orioles are going to pick up. I mean, Elias basically said, don't hold your breath for Grayson Rodriguez anytime soon. It's going to be some time. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what else we need to wait for is the best way to put it. Um, Scott, I, I don't know, man. I don't want you to get excited. I'm, I'm having a really hard time imagining what uh, a highly anticipated prospect coming up to the majors and uh, fulfilling some wish casting from Baltimore Orioles fans would look like. I, I'm not sure that I can even imagine what that looks like. We might have to get to that later. But before we do that, let's go to 280 characters with us this week on the Twitter. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and start us off this week? All right. The first thing that I want to talk about is that it is time to fire up the Norfolk shuttle, sir. And this is a tweet that comes from Rockabaco. If you're listening to the show, of course you're following Rockabaco at Mass and Rock. And he said, Hyde said that it's pro- probable that one of the starters for Saturday's doubleheader in Boston will come from AAA. Hashtag Orioles. Here's the great thing. We're talking about Rodriguez. You know, we're talking about Hall. We're talking about uh, looking at the prospects. The exciting thing to me, Scotty, is that the minor league system is producing usable parts 
that the Orioles can fire up the Norfolk shuttle and get themselves through tough times. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So let's take let's think about that really quickly in terms of that breakdown. If we're looking at the 40-man roster right now um, as it relates to Norfolk, for pitchers, you've got D.L. Hall, Zach Loser, Mike Ballman, Nick Vespi, Danny Reyes, and then, Jake, your favorite person in the world, Travis Lockin Sr., on the 40-man roster. So Grayson Rodriguez is not on the 40-man roster as of yet. Um, he certainly could be added, just like his contract being selected, like Adley Rutschman's contract was selected. The Orioles would have to make a move onto the 40-man roster. Jake, if you had to think of that, those six names, and we'll add seven on there from a Grayson Rodriguez standpoint, who do you think is getting called up to potentially start on Saturday's doubleheader? I don't know how the how the rotation lines up. I'm not I'm not a a versed enough Norfolk Tides fan to know who's on what day. My guess would be Lowther. That yeah. that would be my guess. Yeah, I think it's probably either Lowther or Bauman off the my my top aspect. Um, but yeah, like I said, let's see what happens is the best way to put it. But I think it's going to be Lowther or Bauman as well. Um, I love it to be Grayson Rodriguez. I just I just don't see it. It just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. All right, uh, next tweet um, comes from Oriole Statistics. You can follow them at OrioleStats1. And that uh, is a good follow, by the way. It is Please a good follow. Yeah. Please do it. Um, 30% of the Yankees' losses this year are against the Orioles. All right, so this is a cool cool tweet. And again, it's it's you know absolutely factual. But here's the thing that bothers me about this is the Orioles have played like a extremely heavy uh, like Yankee schedule. I mean, the fact that we haven't played the Blue Jays yet and we're going to go into June without playing the Blue Jays is like really weird. Like I understand weighted uh, division games, but this seems a little arduous is the best way to put it. Uh, all things considering. And, and back me up on this. Is this the last year that we play such a weighted schedule? It is the last year that we play such a weighted schedule. I think we go from 19 games to 12 games off the top of my head. In that case, I say just lean into the weird. Okay. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's, like I said, it's I, it's great that we continue to give the Yankees losses. It's great that, you know, the Yankees fans are losing their minds. But a part of me is just also like, OK, like it's an interesting stat, but it's also one of those ones of like we've played the Yankees a ton. Um, I'm actually tired of watching the Yankees and the Orioles play um, to a certain regard. But, yeah, I mean, we're doing we're doing very well against them, all things considering. I don't know why you hate Arbutus so much. I'm going to get into my feelings about playing the Yankees a little bit later in the show. I'm going to move along to our next tweet. Our next tweet comes to us from Orioles Statistics at Orioles Status One. Hey, that's a good follow. You should follow. Yeah, you should definitely follow them. Could we not find anything from Matt Kremitzer in the uh, in the Matt Kremitzer Memorial segment here at Bird's Eye View? Uh, All right, yeah, he's been officially retired. He's got the Abaldo Jimenez Award uh, for for the Twitter. Um, no, we'll bring up we'll bring more Matt tweets up in the future, but um, we're trying to propagate and promote um, some additional follows out there as opposed to going to the well too many times. So this tweet from Orioles Statistics is means deal with the Orioles buys out this year and next year's arbitration years. He's still eligible for arbitration in 2024. Currently, the Orioles final year of control. And of course, this refers to the fact that the Orioles announced the deal for 22 and 23. And Scotty, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm really glad that we don't have to talk about it. You yeah, know what I mean, I, I, I agree with this aspect. I mean, it's I, I'd say this is more you know, paperwork slash bureaucracy because it's a standpoint of the Orioles are just coming to a contractual agreement specifically with um, 
you know, what John Means was going to get paid for 2022 and now for 2023. And obviously they would have had to go on and argued of like, well, this is what John Means did in 2021. And listen, he's hurt now. So, I mean, really, should we be paying him that much money if he's hurt? It's just a really awkward and bad conversation. I'd rather just, you know, settle the whole thing um, and just put them in really good position for 2023. Also knowing what they were going to pay him. Um, and just kind of settle the books and just say, let's come to an amicable agreement. Let's not fight. Um, you know, let's let's go ahead and, and, and play nice in front of the kids is the best way to put and it. And for as often as we fans, and we do, beat the team up for trying to squeeze out an extra, you know, $200,000 from their star players that are under arbitration. It's kind of a nice signal to say John Means is our guy. His future is a little uncertain. He's going through what can be, let's be honest, what can be career-ending surgery, what might be a surgery where he's never the same, and we're going to buy out not only this year but the year to follow, that he won't even play a full season. I think that it's a nice gesture, and there are so few moral victories in the business of baseball. Agree. Agree with that completely. Uh, Last tweet um, comes from, uh, let's see, what is this? Mary at Watsinner. Uh, and it says, no such thing as bandwagon Orioles fans. Okay. Um, well, not yet at least, but uh yeah, the Orioles are turning into a fun team, is the best way to put it. Um there's been there was a comment actually, I think, from Suspended's Family Barbecue about this, where it was, you know, the Orioles might not be a bandwagon. But they might be forming a stagecoach at this point. <laughs> um, I I am really looking forward to the point at which the Orioles uh, have a bandwagon. It'll be interesting to see how we as fans react to that. Are we going to gatekeep or are we going to be welcoming? Uh, I think you know Baltimore well enough that we're going to gatekeep. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to... We'll, I, I hope that we have to have this conversation, right? I hope that this, this is something we is, This have to is what I want to see. And I want to see this in like 2023, 2024. I want to see Jake English going up to Orioles fans and being like, show me your driver's license. I want you to prove <laughs> that you're an Orioles fan. All right. I may do that with the Yankees and Red Sox fans, but it will be interesting. It will be interesting to see. There are going to be people who are not, you know, hardcore, diehard baseball fans who the next time the Orioles are going to be good, find themselves just liking the duck. And I got to, I got to be honest with you. I'm going to feel different about it then that I'm, that I'm feeling now, but I'm really hoping that I will remember that sports are supposed to be fun and that we should welcome them. And when the Orioles are good, they will also not be evil. Spoken like a true travel baseball coach. (laughs) All right. So that is this week on the Twitters. We got everything we could with the uh, short amount of time before Elon Musk takes over. Uh, And on that note, Scotty, I think it's important that you and I hop aboard the hate train. All right, Scott, if they're hating you, you're doing something right. And there's been a lot of hate out for the Orioles lately, and I want to get into it. I know that, that you know, I've been 
drumming this up on the Twitters, and I'm not the only one. But let's take this one one piece at a time. I want to start with Aaron Judge and the Yankees organization having something to say about the wall on left field at Camden Yards. And here's the deal. I feel like for all the people in Baltimore who are up in their fields about the wall, getting moved back, getting raised to such a ridiculous level, the moment that the Yankees opened their mouth about it, it was like, hey, only we're allowed to pick on our little brother. Uh, but I got to be honest, it is a really bad look when one of the best teams in baseball, I think they had the best record in the American League, right? Yes. Starts whining about not being able to hit enough home runs when they're clearly going to beat the brains out of the Orioles for, for this season and many more to come. It's just not a good look. And I am all the way over it. It would be especially more acceptable if these people didn't play in a park that was ridiculous with its dimensions. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, you know, the comments came after, you know, Aaron Judge had that two home run game and and the comments were made, of course, just on on the standpoint of Aaron Judge barely missing his third home run. Uh, And again, it's one of these situations where it's just kind of comical. And again, the, the Yankees have been embroiled in this whole conversation about ballparks and dimensions and home runs um, with other teams kind of calling them out for it as well. Um, and, and and I guess they just wanted to get in on it as well and just kind of have this conversation. But there was no better Freuda than to basically sit there and watch the game on Tuesday night um, and, and, and see two, we'll call it unicorn home runs, um, go right over Aaron Judge's head in right field. 353 and 354 feet, I think it was off the top of my head. And uh, again, it's just, it's chef's kiss. I wish we could have won that game last night um, just to kind of put an exclamation point on it. But it really was just a kind of a point of like, you guys need to be quiet is the best way to put it. Um, And you shouldn't be belly aching about um, small stuff like this is the best way to put it. So whining about stats in a season in which you are performing well and are going to perform well is a bad Look, when I said the Orioles will not be evil when they're good, this is the kind of crap I'm talking about. And it makes me want to watch the Yankees bounce balls off that wall for the rest of eternity. I'm I'm asking Bird's Eye View listeners, both of you, right now, we need clever signs for when the Yankees are in town. I want to be able to have signs that we hold up when the Yankees bounce balls off the create a park wall out there in left field, maybe it's the, maybe it's the spite whistle, whatever it is, we need to do something as a community to, to remind them that they have failed miserably when they bounce balls off the ball. So, I mean, I've got a thought, I've got a thought here, basically, Um, you know, obviously the Orioles are always looking for media sponsorships uh, and everything like that. Um, you know, obviously, if we look at left field right now, you've got you know two advertisements out there, but you've got a really large section out there. Um, so what I'm thinking is if a local um, dental organization or dentistry aspect could put, in essence, Aaron Judge's gap teeth before his surgery um, out there, that would be, be great for me. See, I was hoping that you were going to go for something uh, in the area of uh, facial tissues. Nope. You know, uh, but that... That was a lot more personal and mean spirited. What about? It just needs to say, just hit it to the gap. 
All right, uh, before we get hate letters here on the hate train, I'm going to move on to the next piece uh, of hate that's happened this week, and that is uh, former Bird's Eye View guest, friend of the program, Buster Olney. And before, before I go any further, let me just say, objectively, objectively, I like Buster Olney. Objectively, I enjoyed listening to his podcast at one point. I like Buster Olney. I think he's a nice dude. Uh, having said that, I think that Buster Olney needs to stop grinding his axe against the Baltimore Orioles. And the reason I say that is because every fan base thinks that Buster Olney is out to get them. Every single one. The Orioles have a bit of a special relationship with Olney. You know, having been here in Baltimore, having clearly a poor relationship with the Angelus family. But I'm usually one to defend him, right? When he goes after the team, I'm usually one to say, well, you know, he's, he's actually, he's got a point. Our, our, our ownership kind of sucks. Blah, blah, blah. But this, this is beyond the pale, and I cannot defend this. And this, we all know what I'm talking about. Buster Olney, after saying the Orioles are bad for baseball for months, Finally, the Orioles do something good. They bring up the number one prospect in baseball, and all he has to say is, well, it's a shame that the Orioles haven't retired Mike Messina's number. Hey, Buster, get off the hate train. Thanks for doing this. All right, so I think this is preaching the choir, is the best way to put it. I guess my question is, is he doing it for clicks? Absolutely, 100%. See, I want to think that it's just, it, it's just, we'll call it a, uh, a WNST, I'm just doing it for clicks basis. But I do really think that there is something significantly happened. Um, and it's just never, there's never going to be an aspect where he can get over it. And it really raises the question is like, what exactly has occurred to make you so, you know, bitter about it? Yes. The Orioles are a, were a poorly run organization. Yeah, they might still be a poorly run organization. Yes, ownership has not shown a commitment to, in essence, winning uh, for a period of time. But there's also a lot of weird logic being applied, is the best way to put it. Um, and even if you have an issue with the franchise, the weird logical jumps that you're making are just weird, you know, hollow arguments is the best way to put it. Um, and the it's, mental gymnastics you have to do to get there. I hear you. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, I have no issues about, you know, calling out the franchise and a lot of their poor aspects. Um, you know, I think, you know, a few people were mentioning this with the athlete Rutschman standpoint. We were talking about um, Super 2 status of, like, the Orioles in general have not done a really great job of going out and signing um, their individuals one or two years into their, like, playing career – Total long-term contract. Um, it's something that Brady Anderson mentioned back during the Duquette era, specifically of like he could not convince ownership whatsoever to want to do that. Um, man, that is such a blast in the past. I remember we, we were talking about Brady Anderson being the next GM of the Baltimore Orioles, and now you don't even think about him anymore. Um, I choose not to remember that time. I mean, I still think about to, to choose to think about Brady Anderson, but um, but anyway, um, I don't know. It's just it's really it's just a really weird standpoint where. Every single day, a tweet comes out, and it's Orioles-related. And it's just like, is there no other stories going on 
in Major League Baseball that you want to cover. Like, it's almost like, well, 9 o'clock, my scheduled tweet for the Orioles is going to go out. Um, almost like he's in competition with Rockabaco just to basically make sure he's putting out enough Orioles content. I think it damages his credibility. Yeah. And again, I, I am an avowed buster only defender. It's weird too. Cause like, it's even the situation like he got agitated and then he pulled in Dan Connolly by saying at Dan Connolly at the end of one of his tweets, almost like, Hey, I'm asking for backup here. Just basically be like, yeah. you were there during the old times with me, like, come and back me up. And Dan Connolly's just like, well, like, some of this is accurate, but some of this is not accurate. Um, Do not quote the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. It's just, it's just really weird. It's like, it, it's like classic, like, someone that doesn't know how to use Twitter, using Twitter. You mean me? You're talking about me. That hurts. Uh, you You know how to use Twitter. It's more like... I'll tell you what it reminds me of, and it, I, I don't want to disparage Buster only in this regard. It almost reminds me of Dan Clark. Like, it's almost to that level of like, hey, I'm going to float something out there and basically be critical, but not really have a good logic behind some of the decisions that I'm basically pointing this out to. Hmm. Uh, I don't know that I can go there. I can't call another human being Dan Clark. It doesn't seem right. Well, I, I tried, but let's go ahead and, and move on to some other things um, in, in terms of the hate train, and we'll throw another shrimp on the Barbie. And um, I, I guess one of the other things that popped up on, on the hate standpoint is there were a lot of really upset Orioles fans this whole week, and especially on Saturday, on why was Adley Rutschman not announced earlier so that I could have been at the game on Saturday and seen him there live in person? Um, and just a lot of questioning of the mechanics and the whole aspect of why were you making an announcement on a Saturday morning at, we'll call it 8.30-ish, um, to basically say, hey, Adley's coming up this mor- today. Um, if you want to be there, get your tickets now and, and go out there and do it. Uh, just a lot of people upset with that aspect of you know, not being as um, open uh, it, to you know, when, the, when the announcement was going to be made. Yeah, I could not care about that any less. I, I really could. I, I don't really understand it. I mean, it's it's one of those matters where if you wanted to be there on Saturday, you were going to make it happen. And I know plenty of people that you know had previous plans and said, I'm going to make it happen. Honestly, if I wouldn't have had tickets to Sunday's game, I would have basically done the same thing. I would have been like, you know, I had a family engagement that evening. Um, I would have probably been like, look, Here's the situation. I've been waiting several years for this. I'm going to go and experience this. Um, but again, like I said, there was plenty of time. There was plenty of opportunity to go get tickets. And again, even if you didn't get there Saturday, you could have easily gone Sunday. And let me tell you, there was plenty of seats on Sunday as well um, to see Adley Rutschman play. Um, especially, you know, like I said, I just don't understand this, you know, hubbalo. It's almost the standpoint of like, we're looking for something to complain about. Um, and I know a lot of podcasts have been talking about this. Like I said, I think every single Orioles podcast in the world has talked about this at this point in terms of being critical on this basis of Orioles fans in general is just whining about things. I just don't understand it. I just Can don't. I say something unfair? Sure. <clears throat> I I would suspect that if you drew a Venn diagram of the people that are complaining about the announcement for 
Adley Rutschman not being made at the time that they would have preferred, and the people who said that they're not going to buy Orioles tickets until something interesting happens. If you if you drew a Venn diagram, those circles would be a lot clo- a lot closer than you'd prefer, right? Yeah. Look, I get it. This team has sucked hard. I get it. It's been hard to look for hope. But you know what? The Orioles are not going to make an announcement and make sure that every fan can get in the door when they want to. They're going to promote it. They're going to promote Adley Rutschman when it's right for him as a player. Yep. And when it's right for the club, when it comes to wins and losses on the field. And if they're not behaving like that, then they're not doing the things that it takes to get you into the ballpark as a fan anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was talking to, I think it was Eric Ardidi about it, this of, you know, they probably lost themselves around $250,000. And I'll, I'll explain that aspect of, you know, the average ticket price last I checked for the Orioles. Again, this is not the cheapest ticket, but again, the average ticket price comes out to be about $25, I think is what it is um, per person attending. I mean, I think with a little bit more advanced notice, we probably could have seen 10,000 additional fans there. So the Orioles lost out on about $250,000. And again, I think this comes back to your point, Jake, which is, you know, maybe in a previous regime, the Orioles would have hyped this up. They would have done as much as possible just to get that additional $250,000. I don't think it was given a forethought. I think it was just, we're going to run the organization the way we want to run it. And we're not going to basically, um, you know, treat it like it's a minor league baseball stadium and a minor league baseball team that we have to do promotions to pull in the fans. Like our goal is to win. Are you saying that Adley Rutschman did not arrive on a cowboy monkey rodeo? He did not arrive on a cowboy monkey rodeo or on fireworks night. <laughs> I will say that of all the, the claims that you can make about the Baltimore Orioles, you have to at least give them credit that they have been consistent over the last four years of not caring how badly their behavior affects the gate <laughs> oh yeah agree now i will give them this credit of like they realized it was you know somewhat of a a moment and you know they offered fans that attended a paper ticket and a paper ticket stub mm. while leaving the stadium um as long as you stay through the seventh inning so i think that's a kind of a cool kind of momentum aspect um to basically say hey you actually really weren't there during 2131 because you have to have the ticket stub to basically prove out this concept. They'll all claim it. Three, three million people will have been there for Adley Rutschman's uh, uh, debut. Let me ask you this. Um, Do you you think uh, that the way that all of that went down with the announcement, with the social media, with the videos, with the, the, you know, material available on Masson, do you think that that part was handled well? Because I, I happen to really appreciate the way that the team handled the announcement from a social standpoint. Olivia, I think, would be proud. I was very impressed, is the best way to put it. Like, I thought it told a really good story through the first day, and it kind of got you grounded but hyped at the same time. I, and I know that's weird to say, but it, like, it was almost the standpoint of like, it told the entire story to get you ready into that mentality. Um, so, yes, I, I liked it a lot is the best way to put it. And like I said, I liked how it continued on even into Sunday where further segments were released. So, um, 
like I said, I, I think some of the videos that the Orioles have been doing for 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 the past I'd call it a year and a half have been really encouraging, specifically on the player development side. Um, I, I thought this was very well done. Is the best way to put it. It was it was professional level. Um, I wouldn't quite put it at WWE style, but uh, it was very professional from a video making standpoint. Love it. Love it. All right, so that's been the hate train. I think we're here at the caboose and ready to roll off and, and run down the track. Um, let, let us know, uh, what else do we miss on the hate train? Where are people throwing punches at the Orioles? We'd love to, uh, to make sure that we're covering it all. While we wait for those responses, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go around the bases in this week that was Orioles baseball. All right, Scott, here we go around the bases. And at first base, we have to start here. Scott, you know that I love this club. I love the Orioles. I've loved them my whole life. But now I have the opportunity to love them truly, Adley, deeply. Let's dig in. Adley Rutschman is a major league player. He is a contributor for the Baltimore Orioles. How's your first week of Adley been? Um, It's been... I'm still feeling it out is the best way to put it. Like I said, there's nothing bad that I have seen whatsoever. Um, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, who and what he is going to be. And I don't think I'm going to know that until the end of the season is the best way to put it. Um, I think there has been a lot of encouraging things that we have seen. Um, you know, the one thing that surprised me the most was just his plate discipline is just really, really good. Um, both at the plate and also behind the plate as well from a plate discipline standpoint. Um, but that's been the most surprising thing to me to date. I think he ranks up there, I think, with one of some of the best players in baseball right now in terms of pitches seen per plate appearance. Um, but again, I think, you know, I, I need to see how things go. And I know he's still getting his feet wet, as it were. But that's the one thing that has caught me a little bit by surprise is the plate discipline basis. Here's what I'll say. Well, I'll say a lot, but here's the first thing I'll say about Adley Rutschman in response to that. It is super refreshing to have Adley Rutschman come to the plate and for me to be confident that there's going to be a competent major league at bat, right? Here's a rookie. Here's a guy that we've been waiting for, a highly anticipated prospect. And from what I've seen so far, I know that I'm going to get a major league performance out of every bat. And for somebody who's been on the stage for, you know, a couple of days for somebody who's, you know, all eyes on baseball are on him. That's a pretty incredible thing. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, how, how overhyped are we for our expectations for me right now? I am content with the fact that we've got a major league player here and he's been here for, you know, less than 10 days, right? He's only going to get better. I'm pleased with what I'm seeing so far. And I think the plate discipline is a really great observation. Yeah. I mean, there's one other big thing that I think is extremely interesting to me. And there's like, again, if you look at his prospect report, there's this talk of like a charisma or in their leadership standpoint. And again, it's always hard to measure that basis, but I come back to that extra inning game um, against the Rays where he pops off the mound um, and he goes over to uh, Cienel Perez 
and it's kind of like hyping him up like way to go like way to get us out of there like that aspect and i'm not saying that other catchers that we have had have not done that i mean i can think of many instances where caleb joseph was doing that matt waiters was doing it but it just feels a little bit different for some reason of like there's definitely a game management and almost a team management standpoint. And it's a weird situation because I think back to Dark Ages baseball and even think about Buckle Up Birds baseball. And there's always been this reluctance outside of Adam Jones to basically want to take ownership and leadership within the clubhouse. In fact, there was that time where like Marquecas kind of stepped into it because he felt like he had to, but he didn't really want to. Um, and eventually Adam Jones got to that point of being that leader and I think, you know, when we look back at that moment of the Buckle of Birds era, I think people look at Adam Jones and say his number should be retired just because of what all he did for the team and for the city and everything like that. And I think, you know, you look at Adam's stats and you're like, he was a really good player, but he wasn't a great player on the field. Like he was a three to four war player, which is which is very, very good. Like I said, I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But it's not, you know, perennial all-star slash MVP candidate player. Um, I think I talked about this many a times, but like Cedric Mullins last year had a better year than Adam Jones pretty much ever had. Um, but again, I think if I were to basically say, which member would you rather have on your team, Adam Jones is prime or Cedric Mullins is prime, I would still say Adam Jones just for the leadership element alone compared to a Cedric Mullins. So... I'm the stats guy. I'm not supposed to be this way, but I look at that and I watch that standpoint. And I think back to other catchers that we have had before in the past um, that I had concerns about from a charisma and a leadership standpoint. And I look at that and say, that's a guy that can potentially lead a major league rotation um, and develop them. And if they get into a situation where it's, you know, high leverage or in a playoff situation, that's a guy that's going to be able to command the diamond, as it were. I, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I I loved that moment of Perez coming off the, the mound and Adley Rushman greeting him there enthusiastically to the point where, like, that, that joy was infectious through the television. Yep. Right? I was ready to run through a brick wall at that point. I've talked, you know, my, my son is a catcher, he's 11, but I've talked to him a lot about the catching position and how, like it or not, you know, that's a leadership position. You have to be, you know, a certain way at that position. Even if Adley Rushman is only in the hall of pretty good or very, very good, right? It is heartening to me to see that he is already has a command presence in the thing that we need. When I look at what I saw the other night of him charging off the field in a big moment, to greet his pitcher, to have his guys back, to get those guys fired up. It makes me feel like the Orioles losing streaks are going to be shorter, right? It makes me feel like the darkest days are going to be a little bit brighter until, you know, the dark, the dark ages are, are gone. Even if he is not an Adam Jones, right? I, I look, I like what I see from a present standpoint because of all the things that we've been waiting for, hope is really amongst them, right? And it was really easy to see it in that moment. Uh, let me let me go back to something you can be a little bit more tangible about. 
What about our lamentations of the performance behind the plate when it was Severino and company? What about Adley Rutschman's performance of receiving behind the plate? I mean, it's been really great so far. I mean, there's been several pitches that he's got. Um, in fact, there's a few few aspects where I thought, you know, he actually got the strike and held it really well, and the umpire didn't see that way. I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that's going to come along, but it's been it's been impressive so far. And I mean, we'll hop, we have got to mention too the the swipe tag that he made um, on Tuesday evening as well, which was just I, again we saw weeders do that a lot, honestly, in terms of that swipe tag. Um, it, it was just really well executed. It's just a lot of classic fundamental standpoint that you take for granted. Um, and like I said, that's going to add up over time. Um, it, it just got me thinking. And I'm like, because I keep saying like, well, you know, he's projected to be, you know, a four war player, a five war player. And I'm like, I'm not sure if that's going to be enough is the best way to play it. Like you need, if you're going to basically be a World Series team, you almost need to have someone that it could eventually be a seven or eight war person. And I was just looking at catchers. And I'm like, well, how many catchers truly are seven or eight war player catchers? In reality, I was looking at those. I was like, actually, there's a good amount. As long as you can hit, we'll call it 135 and higher, um, you're generally in good shape is the best way to put it. Um, if you're a really good defensive catcher. So I think it's interesting is the best way to put it. And like I said, I'll be watching more about how that defense goes over, we'll call it the next, uh, like I said, I think over the next 300 plate appearances um, and over the next, let's say, 50 games, I think we'll be able to determine pretty quickly how good Adley Rutschman could potentially be. He's here. He's here to stay. It's exciting to see. And I think that for those of us who are not going to, uh, you know, tear our, tear our clothes and, and wail into the wilderness when, you know, he fails to hit 900 right off the bat, I think it's going to be fun to watch him develop as a major league player. I just want to see him have a wubba around. I'd say 700, 750, and I'd be super tickled this year, honestly. Uh, I'm not looking for big things offensively from him this year. If it happens, that's that's gravy. But again, I'm just looking for him to be somewhat around league average um, in terms of WOBA um, is the best way to put it. Listen, when I watch him play, I get a WOBA. And with that, uh, let's round first. Let's head into second base. And Scotty, I just want to say at, here we are at second base, and things are pretty okay. Pretty okay with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they're playing entertaining to watch baseball. And I say that on, on a team that, you know, May started real strong. And then they endured a six-game losing streak. And you thought to yourself, oh, God, here it comes, right? All the things that we thought were going to happen are going to happen. And it's going to be ugly. But this game is this this team is playing fun games to watch at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at their run differential – they're not really a good team. Like they are, I think negative thirty in terms of run differential. I'll pull up the stats, but I mean, they're at the bottom tier of the league is the best way to put it mm-hmm. as it relates to run differential. They're negative thirty five coming into tonight's game, um, and a four and nine winning percentage. But the one thing we have always harped on for the Orioles for years upon years upon years now is the predictability of the games. Like you get to a certain point, you're like, that's it. I know how this game is going to end. Um, and the Orioles have had a ton of comeback uh, games this year. That doesn't mean they win them, but they have had a ton of comeback games where, in essence, they potentially go down early and they kind of scrape back into it, um, potentially tiring it up. And eventually, sometimes they lose and sometimes they win. But 
there has been this aspect where games have not kind of fluttered into the night. Now, tonight, it looks like they're going to flutter into the night. I mean, it's 2 nothing, and they're not hitting for anything. Um, but on a whole for the entire season, in the mere 44 games that we have seen, they have you know come back, I think, 18 times now or something like that. Um, it's been really impressive, uh, is the best way to put it. Uh, just not having that predictability of just going silently into the night. I, I will I will say two things about that. First, I'm going to co-sign all of it. I, I love everything about that, and I think you're right. Here's here's my two things. First, yes, tonight looks ugly. They're getting beat two to nothing. The thing that I will say is that this team, which we we predicted to be not very good, and and frankly, I think that would be borne out by the end of the season, right? This team is not getting run out of the gym, you know, night in and night out. This is not a team that looks like it doesn't belong in the same league as the opponent that they're playing that night. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot of games. They're going to lose more games than they win. Yes, absolutely. And there are going to be six-game stretches where it's going to be very disheartening. But I have been overall impressed with the Orioles being in more games than they have in in the recent past. And, And the second thing that I will say about that is that some of this feels, forgive me, very 2012. Yep. Right? I'm not saying they're going to win 93 games and they're going to make the playoffs. That's not what I'm saying. Zero chance, actually, of that. Like, there's zero chance zero. of that happening. Like, it's negative chance. Yeah. But what I am saying is this. You just mentioned their run differential and that they're better than the sum of their parts. And we're talking about the fact that they're winning close, extra innings games. This does have a familiar ring. And the fact that I don't believe that they're going to be very good this year is fine because it makes me think that these components that we're talking about will be meaningful next year when they start adding more pieces, when more guys like Rodriguez and Hall start coming up. It won't be long before we start talking about when is cows are going to run, right? There is hope for not only the talent that we have in the organization, but Scotty, I want to talk about something that you mentioned on Twitter this week, which is where are all these guys going to play, right? We also have the ammunition in the system. Oh, sure. That we're going to start having the opportunities to make trades to fill needs. And it makes me feel like all these things that we're saying are going right, but not necessarily contributing to present wins, makes me feel very good about the short term. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And that's kind of the point that I was making with that tweet in regards to I don't know where all these people are going to play is certainly – that is going to be the standpoint where some people are going to get traded. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll see what ends up. And then you just hope that you trade the right people and not the wrong people. Um, it <laughs> is the best way to put it. But it's it's just it, – you're right. It feels – it's not quite 2012 where they had that great start in 2012. But it just seems like it's it, – it seems like it's turning the corner is the best way to put it in terms of the feel and everything like that. Um and I still think it's going to be a really bad team. I think like they're going to be lucky to hit 70 wins, honestly. I still feel that way deep down in my heart. Um, but it could be circa 2011 where we start to see some aspects of like, all right, well, there's something there, but they're not that good of a team still. Um, maybe, maybe something comes about is the best way to put it. So, um, we shall see. Um, 
Let's go. I'm really, I'm really interested. To, hang on, I, I'll let you move on in just a second. I'm really interested to, to hear you say 2011. This is why the Orioles are like at a 408, 409 winning percentage yep. right now, which comes out to about 66 wins over the course of the season, right? Yep. But the the thing that I'm that I'm thinking is that during the dark ages, the Orioles struggled to get to 70 wins, and you'd look at you know a 68 team, 68 win team that felt hopeless yep right that felt that this was the best that they could possibly get if the orioles end this season with 66 67 68 wins it will be a what 12 game improvement over the last season correct and it will feel like a team that is moving in the right direction and can can uh, you know, move beyond that. 2011 was heartbreaking for me because I was expecting them to make a bigger move in the standings and they didn't. And it was part of why I felt like 2012 was so hopeless. Why, why I was so much a non-believer in the buckle up birds at first. But I will say that without, you know, turning myself into a dark ages fan who was like, Oh, well maybe next year, if the Orioles can play to a standard that we say, yeah, they're not winning a whole lot of games, but we're seeing good things. I'm having a lot easier time painting a picture of next year and the years to follow that are a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, and just to end out this kind of part of the segment, there at the very end of the race series, Kevin Kiermaier was quoted as saying the following about the Orioles. He said, watching them the last couple of years, they're not that far off from competing. Their time is coming. And I think people can look at it. I think, you know, you you follow certain people like Pitching Ninja on it, and there is something bubbling. And like I said, I'm not saying it's a good team as of yet, but there's a lot there that with a few pieces, it could become a really good team. Um, and like I said, I think back, you know, not 2012, but even 2014, going out and getting a free agent like a Nelson Cruz to solidify certain spots um, I think the Orioles potentially could be doing that. Um, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how folks like Buster Olney are going to respond. I almost think it's almost very similar to um, the Padres, where the Padres continuously were very bad, very bad. Tatis comes up, and immediately the Padres go all in and start spending a ton of money. Um, and I don't want to say it's going to be a duplicate of that, but I could see it easily becoming a duplicate of that. <laughs> From your lips to the baseball. Of course, the Padres volunteers. have been really, you know, not being able to seal the deal in the American League West, but they're uh, National League West, but they've also been going against the Dodgers. Um, but yeah, very, very, very intriguing. Well, it's uh, not like we have a powerhouse money spending not, team in our division. We don't. We, we, do. we have a team that doesn't want to go over the luxury tax aspect, where the Dodgers are perfectly <laughs> willing to go over the luxury tax basis. Um, but let's, right, go, Scotty, let's go to third base. Offer, <laughs> but you've been trying to take me to third base for some time yeah. now. Tell me about the bullpen yeah so i mean the bullpen is really interesting i mean if you look at stats specifically in regards to team performance um on the basis of bullpen the orioles currently rank fourth in f4 um from the bullpen basis and from an era basis um they currently rank third in era so there's a lot of interesting things going on in the baltimore bullpen and we've continued to see this so now we're well over a month into the season. Um, and, you know, we talked about it in the very beginning of the season. The first two weeks were like, is it a mirage or there is there is something good there? And we said 
there's a lot of good pieces, but I believe what I said was, well, after you know John Means going down, the bullpen is going to get taxed, um, and it's not going to do so well. Um, but the bullpen has held it together. Is the best way to describe it. I know that they had a rough evening last evening, um, where they gave up a game against the Yankees, um, but overall. There's been some really impressive bullpen outings, even coming back to that game on Sunday, um, where they get it, went up against the Rays and they effect, effectively shut them down through for most of that game. Um, so, I mean, Jake, I guess my question is like, are you still believing that this bullpen is as good as they have been in this six week stretch? Do you really think that they are a top 10 bullpen? Um, and if so, who are you trusting um, right now in the bullpen and who are you not trusting? All right, so those are all sorts of good questions, and so I'm going to try to give you really crappy answers. Yep. And the answer is begrudgingly yes. I find myself begrudgingly believing in the bullpen. And the reason is is that I think there's a lot of talent there. I think there's a lot of talent in the Orioles' bullpen because of failed starters, as we've talked about in the past, because of arms that have come through the system, and because of cheap but useful pickups that the Orioles have made in the almost Duquetian way. Um, so let, let's talk about it. I think it's easier to talk about the folks that I am suspicious of. I got to be honest with you, Scotty. I am not a big believer in Jorge Lopez. I would like to be, right? I was really intrigued by his abilities as a short inning um, reliever based on what we saw when they tried him as a starter. But as a closer, I am not a believer in Jorge Lopez. Let me ask you this. Outside of high leverage situations, would you not love to see Lopez come in in a sixth inning instead of an eighth or a ninth? Um, in some instances, I'm not sure if I bring him in the sixth inning. But I would definitely be okay with him a seventh, eighth. Like, he doesn't have to be a closer to me. I would just consider him to be a high leverage in, 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 in individual. Saying, if um, Rizzo, Judge, and Stanton were coming up in the eighth inning, I'd be perfectly fine just saying, you're going to pitch the eighth and we're going to have somebody pitch the ninth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about closers. I don't believe in the idea of closers in the ninth. I believe in the idea of you pitch your best best lever when you need them in the highest leverage situation in order to basically improve your win probability. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, you know, I don't know if I don't completely, you know, follow Jorge Lopez. The one thing that bothers me about Lopez is just his command is all over the place recently. Um, he's at a 5.57 walks per nine. Um, and I just get concerned um, as it relates to Jorge Lopez up. Like sometimes he has an issue commanding and controlling and it's very obvious to me when that happens, and you really can't get out of that when you're a closer. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a whole lot of faith in him. I, I want to, and I, I'm, I'm not giving up on him as an effective reliever. I just uh, I, I don't believe in Lopez as a closer. Let, let me tell you who I am becoming a huge believer in, and that is Felix Bautista. My question to you, Scott, is Felix Bautista, do you love him or do you love him more? I, I just love him right now. So there are concerns that I have about Felix Bautista. Um, I, again, like, 
it's interesting watching him pitch because like we're going to focus on the velocity and we're going to focus on you know the breaking ball standpoint in terms of the deviation which is you're pitching at 99 to 100 and then you're throwing your breaking ball at we'll call it 86 to 87 and that'll play there's no question about that um the weird standpoint is with his fastball is like it's not the classic four seam where it's kind of arcing down a little bit it's almost like a dart is the best way to do it. he's throwing it so like if it's not arcing at all and it's just a straight pitch at 100 miles per hour, I do get somewhat concerned that eventually there's going to be enough tape, there's going to be enough film that people are going to figure it out. So I really do love Felix Batista, um, but I'm not like over the moon on Felix Batista like maybe I was at the very beginning of the season. But I still think Felix Batista is a really, really good piece at the back end of the bullpen, a seventh or eighth, um, you know, inning relief pitcher. Um, I'm not sure if I would pick him over key, uh, over Jorge Lopez right now. Um, I think I'd still probably go to Jorge Lopez in a higher level situation than I would Felix Batista. I will say that it's a lot easier to make mistakes at 101 miles an hour. You're absolutely right. But, I mean, it's not like Jorge Lopez is going that much you know, lower. I think he's normally pitching like 97 to 98 right now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's definitely a little bit of a difference. I'm actually looking at his fastball velocity right now. Lopez has a average uh, fastball velocity of 97.6. Batista has a 98.4. So, again, not a huge difference between those two. Um, I think it just really comes back down to who's more effective on a long-term basis from a command. Once one of those players shows that they have better command, that's going to be my go-to person as my high-leverage individual. All right. All right. I absolutely love it. Let's talk about the fact that the Orioles have also been able to bring up things, uh, pieces from their uh, minor league system to be uh, useful. I was so impressed with what I saw from Vespi. Yeah, Vespi was really uh, impressive um, in in the in the one game he came out with, and you know, pitching for two innings there. Um, yeah, they were like I said, a little bit of some control issues, but overall, just like we had seen before in AAA. Some really devastating breaking ball pitches. Um, you know, not really super impressive from a velocity standpoint. I mean, 92, 93, but just great movement all over the place. So I, I don't really see Vespi as a closer, but I see him as a Darren O'Day-ish kind of, kind of player is the best way to put it. Uh, just really mixing it up um, and, and really getting people off, um, off pace. Um, so going from a starter to Vespi to someone like Jorge Lopez or uh, Felix Batista that's throwing at 100, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of if you if it was a perfect situation and all your arms were rested, um, I think that's the typical go-to that it is for Brandon Hyde. All right, let me ask you this. What do you feel about uh, Brian Baker? Because I'm really not Oof. sure what to make of Baker at this point. Yeah, um, th- Brian Baker is the is the tough one. I know there's a lot of conversations going about Brian Baker had a really bad night last night. Um, but overall in the season, you know, he's got some really interesting stats. You know, 9.7 Ks per nine, a 2.87 walks per nine. You know, right now his FIP and his XFIP are right around 2.93 and 3.09. He just has a lot of balls in play. He's got a bat up of 413, um, a decent home run to fly ball ratio at 9.1%. He's also got a lot of kind of hard hit balls against him as well. So I I don't know. Like, I feel like Brian Baker doesn't have 
the deception standpoint that maybe a Batista or a Jorge Lopez does. And without that yeah. little bit of deception, I, I just don't know. He can pitch. There's no question about that. But like, I don't know if he's any more than just another relief arm is the best way to put it. Um, but Brian Baker rates you know, number three right now in the Orioles rotation on the basis of F4. I don't know necessarily if I agree with that. Like, if I look at those numbers, I'm looking at it saying Brian Baker is probably at the, I wouldn't say at the bottom end of my relievers, but he's definitely mid tier at best in, in my reliever pool at this moment. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I'm not willing to, to say he's not a useful piece. It's just it's been less impressive than the rest. I think um, I'd rather and, have Dylan Tate than Brian Baker in, in most situations. And again, I'm not a huge Dylan Tate fan either. Um, but I feel like I'd rather have Dylan Tate than Brian Baker um, if I had to choose between the two um, going into a situation of the bullpen. Well, you know, that that's the thing I was just going to get into. I think that Tate, I think that Perez have both been you know, really helpful pieces and guys that when they come in, like, I don't, I don't start to freak out. They've been dependable enough. I I think that the bullpen is a strength of this team. And I think that beyond having to depend on the, the three back end arms, you know, your seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, your ninth inning guy. Instead, we have a pretty broad base of talent in the bullpen to depend on. You know, we've talked about Aiken and the possible role that, that Kramer could fill. Um, but, you know, you look at, at guys that, that are going to come in and frankly leave a uh, Salser, uh, Gillespie, you know, Deplon. This organization has the ability to not only bring people up from the minors like Vespi, who I think are going to be part of the club in the future, but also have those, you know, random Chad Rowe style, helpful for two weeks guys that are going to come and go and save the arms of the guys like Tate and, and Perez. I, I like what I'm seeing from the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, I know we didn't talk too much in this part about Keegan Aiken, but Keegan Aiken has been mm-hmm. uh, in Fuego. I mean, he has been a, such a boon to uh, the bullpen, the starters and everything like that. Um, I don't think we'd be having the same conversation about the bullpen, obviously without Keegan Aiken, Keegan Aiken rates as the best reliever right now for the Baltimore Orioles with an F4 of 0.6. And I think that really translates. I mean, if I look at it, 12 games pitched, 29 and a third innings pitched, 8.59 Ks per nine, 2.4 walks per nine. There's been several games that he has put the game on his back and kept the Orioles close to allow them to come back into it. So I feel like without Keegan Aiken, I think this is a completely different narrative for this team um, compared to what we were early talking about. All right, so let's go ahead and go into home plate. Um, and I, I guess my question is, Jake, um, there's been a lot of sketchy behavior as of lately for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and it's had me questioning um, lately the Baltimore Orioles. Um, the first instance came out where there was a picture taken um, where John Means, uh, Spencer Watkins, and Kiki Aiken were uh, playing a game called uh, Sellers of Catan. Um and then there was a, another indication from Pomicano um, indicating that Colton Kauser is currently building a 7,500-piece Lego Millennium Falcon um, on their dining room table. Um, and uh, I, I just – I think back to some of these instances. I think back to Mike Elias and Sigma Dell in terms of these, these behaviors, and I just question myself, are the Orioles now the most nerdiest team in Major League Baseball? 
Well, I mean, I think it's an important question. And like always, you know, Scott, you you really dig deep to hit the the hard hitting questions. And uh, I, I think the answer is is yes. And we would want it no other way. You know, this is a this is a team that's built by thinkers. Right. And speaking, you know, as a kid who, who you know, made it through perhaps more on the theater and band and student government side rather than sports. I think that having uh, uh, role models of thinkers that are into Catan and, and uh, Legos are, are a good set of role models. And Scott, I will go one step further. And I will say that if you are not down with this, if you're not a fan of these guys showing that kind of personality, you're nothing more than a stuck-up, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Yeah, I, like I said, I think it's great to see. I mean, I have no issues with it whatsoever. It's just, it's just different, is the best way to put it. I mean, we we think back to the more old school um, clubhouse. I mean, playing you know ping pong in the in in the buckle of birds era. Um, it, it just is different. Is it? There's a different vibe to it. And again, it's a different standpoint of like it's no longer just jocks being jocks. It's just people being people. Is the best way to put it. Um, but again, I have no issues with it. It just—it's interesting to me to kind of watch the team develop and just seeing what it is. I mean, I don't know. It just—it's odd to me. It's the best way to put it, just to see how the clubhouse has changed over, you know, five or six years. Um, yeah, like I said, I think that's just something for us to monitor and uh, go from there. So, um, with that, um, you know, we went around around the bases. We we took in some hate. Um, you know, one thing that we started off last week um, was just talking about some numbers, and uh, maybe we should get into Fantasy Boss to see who won this week. All right. Well, with that music, um, that's an indication that I won uh, Fantasy Boss for for the for the first time I think ever in terms of week one. I normally go down like six in a row, uh, so that Jake takes a commanding lead. Scott, uh, I object. Okay, I object. Are you going to challenge this, Scott? We we had Fantasy Boss set up for week one. Yes. All right. In week one, sure, Cedric Mullins took a commanding one nothing lead. In chains above replacement home sure. runs. Did we even bother to count week two since we missed an episode last week? I I have no idea if we counted or not. I just took the show notes and basically assumed it. And if we've learned anything um, from American politics, you have to stop the count early. All right, fair enough. You win. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, a one nothing victory for myself. So I'll take the one nothing victory myself. I'll, I'll call Scott. I'll go as far to say that's a commanding lead. It's a commanding, that's a commanding lead. lead. Yeah, about to say it's no, it's no two nothing like right now in the Yankees Orioles game, but uh, it's a commanding lead. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I think for me, I am going to go with a similar stat, but I'm going to go with ex- expected woba. So this is taking a look at Statcast data uh, and specifically determining based off the Statcast data. Um, what would the WOBA be? And there's been a lot of interesting scenarios here where a lot of players have been hitting the ball really hard as of lately and not seeing much benefit. 
Um, so I wanted to maybe call that out and just say, hey, let's focus on the aspect of players that are putting good, solid contact on the ball um, and award them accordingly a, a for that, that kind of momentum. Um, and I thought it'd be a really fun instance also to come back at the end of next week and specifically look at did their expected Woba match up with their actual Woba production um, and why are we not seeing that that expected production? So, so you're asking me which player over the next uh, week will have the highest ex-WOBA? Yes. Yeah. Would you get right. it's just expected offensive production based off of StatCast data? Right, ba- based off bat-off ball regardless of the Bat-off ball regardless of, you know, field scenarios or anything like that, just looking at angle slash exit velocity, what would a typical aspect be in terms of hit and or extra base hits from that? All right, I'm going to go with Trey Mancini. That's and I feel like Trey Mancini has not had the results that he would have hoped based on the at-bats that he's had over the last week or so. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Like uh, Trey Mancini has been doing great at the plate as of recently, specifically with hard-hit balls. Um, so let's see if he can continue to do that. Um I'm going to go a little bit out there and, you know, try to, you know, skew it a little bit. Like, I'm going to kick it off for the first time. I'm going to go with Adley Rutschman for my expected Woba. Ooh, breaking out Adley Rutschman in Fantasy Boss. Scott, you dog. Yeah. So let's see who is going to own it this week and expected Woba. Is it going to be Adley Rutschman or is it going to be Trey Mancini? Uh, and we'll figure out who that's going to be. Um, with that, let's go ahead and do some good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, the ugly. As usual, I'm going to go ahead and get started. My good for this week, Scotty, is Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles outdueled Garrett Cole not once but twice. And, Scotty, did it for the boys. I've said it before. I will say it again. As long as he's producing, I expected absolute garbage from Jordan Lyles after he was signed. And I've been really impressed with what I've seen. He's been a guy who understands that his role is to protect the arms of all the other guys in that clubhouse. And uh, at least this week he did it. Jordan Lyles is my good. I'm a little bit torn on this one. Um, I want to go with like Natalie and Brulia. Absolutely. Um, Are you all out of faith? Is this how you feel? Yeah, a part of me wants to go with Austin Hayes, but I'm not going to go with Austin Hayes because I think he's going to have other chances this year to be in my good category. I don't think this other individual is going to be in my good category ever again. So I'm going to go with Rugnit Odor, who has had some really clutch performances um, and some clutch home runs this past week. Um, I know everyone is absolutely over the moon with Rugnit Odor right now. Um, he had posted a 186-weighted runs created plus over the last seven days. He has been in fuego um, as of late. Um, and like I said, I, I think it's a nice brief stretch. I'm not expecting this for much longer from Rignator Door. Um, but for the time being, he's going to be my good for the week um, with Austin Hayes getting my, my honorable mention of just being so darn clutch as of late. With Odor, you can at least see why they signed him. 
right? You can see the ceiling that they were hoping for when they signed him. Yeah, I think that's the that's the best way that we we see some positive basis uh, for everything. All right, we have to. It's uh, it's traditional here, so I'm going to go ahead and and move over to the bad. My bad for this week is Cedric Mullins. I'm sure it's just an aberration, but uh, Cedric did not have a great week. In 32 at-bats, which, as I look, darn near leads the club in plate appearances, 32 plate appearances, uh, he had a one weighted runs created plus. That's one. Uno. A single. Uh, and, And you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, maybe he got unlucky this week. Nope. He had a 200 BABIP. Cedric Mullins just struggled at the plate this week. Uh, here's hoping that that is an aberration, but uh, for this week, he was bad. Yeah, my bad for the week is going to go to Kyle Bradish. Um, you know, he's been struggling on and off. He kind of pitches a good game and then he pitches a bad game. Um, this week, five and a third, um, you know, 8.4 Ks per nine, 3.38 walks per nine. Just not doing great in terms of home run to fly ball. Um he said, I, I still think Bradish has a lot going for him. He just needs to figure out a little bit better control and maybe not um, you know, float it over the middle portion of the plate too much. Again, I still think Bradish is a solid fourth fourth or fifth starter, is the best way to put it. Like I continue to look at him and I'm like, he's a good fourth or fifth starter, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but he's got a little bit of growing to do um in, in the major leagues. But again, the stuff still looks like it plays. I think he just has to get better with where he's positioning the ball um, over the plate and when to, in essence, bury a pitch and when not to bury a pitch. Um, so Bradish gets my bad. I am going to be interesting to watch Bradish and Rutschman pitch a lot more this season. I do expect Bradish to get better from Rutschman being behind the plate. That's that's what I'll say as well. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to move into ugly territory. And my ugly is Chris Owings. Does anybody know why this guy is on the ball club. Chris Owings has become the Orioles automatic out. And when I look at what's available in the minors to bring up to replace him, I just can't imagine that Chris Owings has any reason to be a Baltimore Oriole. I don't hate the guy, right? This is not me grinding an ax. It's just that every time he's involved at the plate, I know how things are going to end. You talked earlier in the episode about you know, being able to predict things, Chris Owings is predictably ugly. My ugly for the week is going to go to, and this is a tough one for me as well. Of it has to, it's going to go to Jorge Mateo, and I love Jorge Mateo in terms of what he's doing out there in the field. However, I'm not really fond of what he's currently doing at the plate with a negative 46 weighted runs created plus. Um, Jorge Mateo just. I don't know. Like I said, you got to keep put throwing him out there. You got to let him still keep figuring it out. His speed is absolutely killer. Um, he's just been doing really poorly with a 30.8% strikeout rate. Um, he eventually is going to figure it out and he's going to turn it around. Um, he needs the additional plate appearances. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just ugly right now at the plate and it just is like, uh, Jorge Mateo is coming up. And you know, one of the other things that really bothers me about Mateo is like for all that speed, He's a terrible bunter. Like his approach when he's bunting is just really bad, and I just don't understand it. I like you would think that a person with that kind of you know prospect level from a speed standpoint would be taught over and over and over again. Here's how you bunt. Here's how you bunt. Here's how you bunt. 
and he just can't figure it out. And it just, it bothers me. It just really bothers me. Um, that he, he he can't figure it out. Um, and I, I'm sure the team has worked with him on it. I'm sure other organizations, including the Padres, worked on with him. It just bothers me. Um, and it just is a pet peeve of mine. So Jorge Mateo gets my ugly for the week um, for his, his plate discipline, um, his bunting ability. His defense has been beautiful. Like I said, I, I, I can't take that away from him. He's just an absolutely um, above-average defensive shortstop. Um, really remarkable player on that aspect. But... He's got to figure out the plate or else it's just an empty, you know, hole in the lineup is the best way to put it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, you know, Jorge Mateo is a guy kind of like David Lowe, right? Super fast, but you can't steal first. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and blow the save. Um, I'll let you take it over, Jake. This week, uh, to blow the save, I just want to go out and give a shout out to a friend of the program, friend in in the real world, and that's Jabby Burns, a guy that if you're not following at Jabby Burns on Twitter, you're not doing this Orioles fandom thing right. Jabby, of course, a, a former sister wife podcaster in the Baltimore Sports Network and a half of what makes Baltimore Sports Today a podcast that I miss dearly, Zach Jabby, get back on the mics. Uh, But I want to throw a shout out to Jabby uh, for something that happened this past week. Uh, Jab uh, is a coach uh, for a baseball team that he's been running for uh, in the last year. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned in the past that that, uh, my son is is playing baseball. We had the opportunity uh, to play uh, Jab's team this past week, this past weekend. And uh, Jabby Burns is a beautiful human being. I really enjoy him. Every time we get together at ball games, you know, I keep saying this. If you meet him at the ballpark, you'll fall in love with him. Uh, same is true at the ball field uh, with the kids. Jab, you were amazing with your kids. You were amazing with our kids. Uh, it was it was really a great youth uh, sports experience to have uh, our kids on the field and have you be a part of it. So I just wanted to tip my cap to Jab. Uh, first of all, his team beat the snot out of ours, and, and rightfully, snow, uh, rightfully so. Uh, but second, uh, Jab is a, a, a great uh, youth sports coach and a great member of Birdland. Uh, and Jab, Zach, I miss hearing you guys on the uh, on the ear holes there. Bring it back. Yeah, if you've ever seen um, two individuals such as Jake and Jabby, two extroverts, when the extroverts get that close to each other, there's just like a kind of a nuclear fission slash fusion going on at that point. Um, and for us introverts like Zach Wilt and myself, it's sometimes just good just to stand about eight feet away just in case they both explode because they're being so extroverted in nature. It's almost like I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, I can. Um, but yeah, like I said, definitely a good guy. Um, but I'm oftentimes the one that's just listening to Jake and Jabby talk. Um, and it's a, I wouldn't even say a mile a minute. It's a mile a second. And in, in terms of both of them talking to each other, Scotty, that's so unfair. I can't do anything better than he can. I can't coach third. Like he can, I can't play cornhole. Like he can. I, uh, I'm in all of you, sir. And that 
that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Hate mail? Sure. Send it to Scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Absolutely. You can, you can find us on social media. We're all over the place. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. We're even on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.